Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Uh, when we decided to do a show on the greatest radio personality of all time, apologies to Howard Stern and the rest, we did not go to an amateur. We went to the ultimate source. Please welcome to the show the president of the International Jack Benny Fan Club and well-known mailbox repair and gardening expert, <laughs> Laura Leibowitz. <laughs> Thank you very much. I don't think there has been a more popular entertainer in media, in, in at least this country, ever than Jack Benny. Now, you can make the argument for Charlie Chaplin, I suppose. Mm -hmm. but, but Jack Benny, when radio was it, and I mean, you know, we talk about now cable TV and TV so popular. Yeah, it is, but it's so splintered. Yeah, And even when television was big, you know, the, the, the radio kind of dovetailed it at the beginning of, of television. And then, we're, then there were two mediums and most of the radio performers that were of, of any stature went to television. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the radio was it. There was nothing else. Yes, you could go to the movies. But in your home, every night, free entertainment radio was more pervasive than any other medium in my in my opinion and jack was the king of the radio he was the undisputed king of radio and not just for a year or two years i mean for 30 year you know for for a long time let's put it that way on 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 radio anyway for 20 25 years uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, he, we, it's really hard to, I think for most people to understand just how big he was. Well, you take a look at, at some, something like, um, Seinfeld or, or whatever, and they went for what, seven years and stopped. Okay. Um, and there were some general foods guys on the train and somebody, some executive from general foods supposedly, went over to Jack and said something that he had been falling down in the ratings. Um, he's like, you know, you got, you, you got to get better. You got to watch that. And Jack is like, screw you. you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that he's, he's walking back from Ronald Coleman's house next door to his own <laughs> house. And, and, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, guy comes up and says, you know, Hey buddy, you got a match? And, and Jack starts to give him one. Guy says, this is a stick up. Now, come on. You're muddy or your life. And you just hear silence. And the laughter starts. And he says, look, bud. I said you're muddy or your life. And Jack says, I'm thinking it over. You know? <laughs> and, and even though, you know, it's like, okay, everybody just, just got it. Even though it wasn't that it wasn't even the biggest laugh on the show. It so perfectly encapsulated this character that they did it other times. They did it on television, whatnot. And it's kind of like, okay, if you're going to distill down the cheap aspect of Jack <clears throat> to one line, 
that's the line. When he would come into the show, it was just like uh, this uh, nitroglycerin, so to speak, that was thrown yeah. in. A, hey, Jackson, how you doing? <laughs> Don't worry, folks. The show's going to get rolling now, you know, and, yeah, and, yeah. and known as a heavy partier, as was his band. A lot of jokes about how the band was just would party all night, all the time, every night. And we're, you know, sort of disreputable a little bit. And, and Phil did that perfectly. Mm-hmm. With like a smile, unabashedly, big smile on his face. Oh yeah, and 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 you've met Phil Harris, so you know that he just has had this energy, this big energy to him, you know. And and so it's like talk about dream casting. I think so many of the people on the show were just amplified versions of their themselves. Um, that Mary, you know, could be difficult at times. Dennis in his audition with Jack, that Jack had gotten on the microphone and said, you know, oh, Dennis, and he just had reflexively turned around and said, yes, please. And they, <laughs> they liked it so much, it's like, oh, let's have your character do that. Okay, great. You know, yeah, didn't even have the part yet. Um, but that was probably part of the reason he got it. And, um, you know, Phil said, um, oh, I got to tell you a story. I didn't tell you this before. Um, that Phil said, well, you know, if I drank as much as they made it out to sound like I drank, I wouldn't be able to stand up. Of uh, what they were supposed to be doing on that program. But we talked mm-hmm. a lot about Don Wilson. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, just the greatest announcer ever. I mean, mm-hmm. that guy could sell me a bag of dirt. And I'd be glad. <laughs> I'd be glad I, I bought mean, it. Me, Jello addict, when I was listening to the shows in order. Well, you hear, like, you hear. Well, you can go ahead, but you hear him describe it, and you're like, I got to get some of that. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I recall a famous. Uh, they had a famous opera singer of the day on Dorothy Kirsten, and she starts singing the Lucky Strike jingle during yes. the middle of her operetta. Yep. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. so she's singing with the sportsman, I think. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it was that that's that's why I liked it so much. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with the fact that it was a cigarette and Lucky Strike just sounds like a, you know, I don't know. It's just it's got a, a an aura. I don't know. That's 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 <laughs> had nothing to do with smoking cigarette. I have to imagine that you've spoken to Joan Benny. Oh heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, listen to you. Oh, she was here 5 minutes ago. Why didn't you tell me? I would have had her stay on, you know. Well, actually, it's kind of funny because that's um, uh, Jack's and uh, Mary's daughter, adopted daughter. At late in life, he really started wondering, as I guess so many people do, um, you know, am I going to be remembered? Have I just kind of wasted my life making people laugh and then it'll all be forgotten? Um, or as Fred Allen titled his book on his days in radio and and uh, television, Treadmill to Oblivion. Um and it's for Jack, it's very much not that, that he has created something. When I talk to people about Jack, um, they just, they, I say they go into their warm place, that it's like, oh, Jack Benny, and you just watch their energy change, and it's like they've just curled up by your fireplace in a nice cozy blanket with a cup of cocoa, and they're just so happy remembering, you know, all the good feelings that the shows gave them. L-S-M-F-T, L-S-M-F-T, L-S-M-F-T. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. 
Mr. and Mrs. North and South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, place your tray table in its upright locked position, and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for... It is Friday, February 24th, 2017, episode 256. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on The Tom Gully Show. Okay, you've probably heard the name Jack Benny, but do you really know Jack Benny? Well, you should, and to make sure you can, we went out and got the capo di tutti capo of Jack Benny experts. She's Laura Leibowitz, president of the International Jack Benny Fan Club. She's documented, followed, and generally supported everything Jack for decades. Just check out the website, jackbenny.org. We're going down memory lane, and we're riding in a Maxwell all the way as we celebrate Jack Benny with Laura Leibowitz tonight on the Tom Gully Show. Ladies and gentlemen, the chief hope of our enemies is to divide the United States along racial and religious lines and thereby conquer us. Let's not spread prejudice. A divided America is a weak America. Through our behavior, we encourage the respect of our children and make them better neighbors to all races and religions. Remind them that being good neighbors has helped make our country great and kept her free. Thank you. To two people listening to this program right now, this show is going to seem a lot like deja vu. Um, <laughs> which I'll tell you why at the very end, maybe. Uh, when we decided to do a show on the greatest radio personality of all time, apologies to Howard Stern and the rest, we did not go to an amateur. We went to the ultimate source. Please welcome to the show the president of the International Jack Benny Fan Club and well-known mailbox repair and gardening expert, <laughs> Laura Leibowitz. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, thank Great you. Uh, yeah. Again. <laughs> yeah, again. Um, I guess I, I have to go through my... It seems like only yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Uh, I still say the, the IGA, sorry, the IJBFC sounds like a union. Yeah, and, you know, maybe someday it will be. I don't know. <laughs> you guys should get uh, jackets. 
windbreakers with some sort of a oh, there you go. with mason like <laughs> emblem on the background. Uh, I'm just trying to think of some kind of uh, some kind of catchphrase to put on there. Oh, I'll come up with it later. You know. Yeah, yeah. Working for I mean, laughter. Thirty nine, but <laughs> yeah, really. Well, that would be the local. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Everybody would the local would be the thirty nine. Um, well, you know, obviously, you know a lot about Jack Benny. Uh, so I guess I should ask you. Where did you in first encounter the notion of Jack Benny or the, the whole Jack Benny experience? Oh, well, I have to trace that back to um, when I was a fairly young child uh, and I saw the cartoon that they put together on the show. Uh, 1958, they did Warden Brothers cartoon called The Mouse That Jack Built, um, kind of kind of uh, negotiated by Mel Blanc because Mel Blanc had uh, knew, knew some folks at Warner Brothers, one might say, and um, they were thinking about the possibility of doing a series of uh, cartoons that effectively would be like animated versions of the radio show, um, and they had all the original voices come on. Well, not all, but many of the original voices come on. Jack, Rochester, Mary, Don. Um, and so they did this cartoon, <clears throat> and uh, I had seen that when I was quite young. And uh, you know what? I'm I'm gonna take a side trip and tell you a story I didn't tell you last time. Okay. Uh, so this is a story that my mother loved to tell. <clears throat> that she was a Jack Benny fan. That's not necessarily why I'm a Jack Benny fan, but she was. And when Jack's second farewell special was on television, she called me into the room and said, here, Laura, you know, I was, what, three years old at the time, um, you know, here's a very famous comedian. And I looked at the television for about 30 seconds and ran out of the room. <laughs> and she said, okay, I guess we don't have a Jack Benny fan here. <laughs> So it, uh, I guess it just took a little different medium uh, for the cartoon to penetrate the mind of a three-year-old. Um, and then a number of years later, we got cable television, <clears throat> which shows you how old I am. Yes, I am over 39. Uh, I was in Michigan at the time. And there was a station out of Detroit that was showing a number of old uh, television shows. Um, you know, You Bet Your Life, Bachelor Father, whatnot. And Jack was one of them. So I learned more about the show uh, at that point. And then just talking with people about Jack. And I was on the phone with an adult friend in California uh, at the time. And uh, I said to her, oh, I know so many people that like Jack Benny that I should start a Jack Benny fan club. And she said, well, it's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. And I was 10 years old. You know, I had nothing better to do. So I started, you know, going out, hey, do you want to join the Jack Benny fan club? And, you know, just it it went from there. How, so. how did that grow in the early days? Because we talked before about you know, um, well, my experience was probably seeing Jack on talk shows and, you know, my grandparents would get excited. My dad would get excited. But on Wednesday nights in uh, Indianapolis, they had a station that would play Wednesday nights at eight o'clock. They would play old radio shows. They play the shadow mm -hmm. sometimes and they, you know, play Fibber, McGee and Molly uh, and Jack Benny would come on. And so my first experiences really were with the radio but I mean, as a as a ten year old, how? Uh, oh, I, I know what I was getting to. 
um, then I, when I got in college, I actually played the golden age of radio theater on off of disc. Yes. Off of mm-hmm. vinyl. They'd mail you a new one each week to the station. Mm-hmm. And there was like a little disclaimer at the end that was like, if you'd like, uh, these and other programs, then mail us $5 and we'll send you a, a tape. And then you started to learn that there were clubs where mm-hmm. you, people would mail each other, uh, you know, I've got an episode of, uh, you know, the, you know, whatever yeah, it might inner be. sanctum or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you would, uh, mail somebody else and the better recordings got well known and the yep. people that had them. And, uh, how did you grow that in the early days? Well, um, this was, like I said, I'm over 39. This was before the internet. And, um, so <clears throat> again, you know, story about my, my mother that she had a uh, publisher central bureau catalog and she said, is there anything you want in here? And I said, out of the blue, do they have any Jack Benny? And, you know, she gives me this almost Jack Benny like stare, like, <laughs> where did that come from? You know, <laughs> it's like. I remember I sat you down seven years ago and you had no interest. She didn't say that. But um, so, you know, God bless Nostalgia Lane. My first Jack Benny I heard on an eight track. Um, Wow. Yeah, that uh, they had a number of shows that they had put out. And this one was, um, you know, two shows per per LP or per eight track. so that was, you know, how I started my collection and looking around for, you know, other dealers, other resources, whatnot. And then um, I saw, or actually I didn't see it. It was one of my teachers in high school um, who saw an article in the Grand Rapids paper <clears throat> about a fellow who uh, was putting on a convention about old time radio and so i have to really credit jay hickerson thank you jay you're wonderful i love you um who first i learned of him in 1984 and i reached out to him and said you know hey i have a jack benny fan club and i'm looking for members and so forth and he he um had a newsletter which is legendary in old radio circles hello again and he put a mention of it in there and and it just went from there you know that that started to get me into the mainstream awareness of um of old radio and connecting with other jack benny fans and you know i have i confess that you know still we have the legacy tape trading list that i put together of you know from when people used to trade tapes now you know with the internet you know you just go to one site and download everything even though it is technically owned by the estate um well my jack benny collection i actually bought it was from a guy bob or bill or something like that and it was off the internet uh-huh. And it was not expensive. I mean, I think I got the whole Jack Benny collection for $5 or something there like that. And they were on MP3s, on discs. He mailed them out to you. And I got up like 10,000 shows from this guy. I got everything just about that he had <laughs> for my birthday one year. I spent like $200. And so I've got all of the uh, Lux Radio Theaters and all the Seal Test Variety Hours and all the Craft Music Hall and all, everything. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I have everything that you could have at the time. But uh-huh. my Jack Benny collection is quite complete, uh, as is my Fibber McGee and Molly. But when did sort of the Jack Benny world, I mean, I'm talking Jack uh, 
and his people and or his people. I imagine Jack was gone mm-hmm. by that time. But those folks, when did they start to learn, gosh, this this young girl from Michigan has herself a club? <laughs> well, you mean like the Jack Benny family and so forth, well, learning know, about that? You know, any of them that were still around, sure. Uh, well, uh, let's see. I remember in 1982, I on August 2nd of 1982, I met George Burns for the first time. And uh, that's a story in and of itself. But the story that's pertinent here um, is that I went backstage between the two shows that he was doing. <clears throat> and uh, he was at the Ionia Free Fair. God bless Irving Fine. You know, he... <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> side trip again um i remember i was in uh wyoming going through some of jack's files and if you're interested in knowing why are they in wyoming laramie <laughs> why i can tell you that too but um and you look at jack he's 79 80 years old and he is booked you know like like crazy buddy hackett had a had a joke after Jack died. He said, Jack Benny really isn't dead. He's hiding from Irving Fine um, because Irving would just book him in all these shows and all these appearances. And he was like doing one night stands going city to city when he was 80 years old. Well, you know, Irving had booked George Burns into the Ionia Free Fair. God bless him. And I went backstage and <laughs> I walked up to Irving Fine and, um, if you're familiar with it, I know you are, you know, uh, familiar with the television show, how two little old ladies would come up on stage with Jack and, you know, he, Mr. Benny, do you know who we are? And, you know, he'd say, <laughs> oh, it's the president and vice president of the Jack Benny fan club. And they'd say, Pasadena chapter. <laughs> and I walked up to Irving Fine and said, you know, hello, Mr. Fine. I'm president of the Jack Benny fan club, Grand Rapids chapter, (laughs) 12 years old and uh, actually 13. And yeah, he just didn't quite know what to do with that. Um, But uh, I also had a correspondence and and later met on a number of occasions, Fred de Cordova. He was one of the first people that I had reached out to um, because he was still the executive producer at The Tonight Show. Oh, yeah. You know, but uh, I hadn't gone to L.A. yet. So he and I just wrote back and forth and I would he would send these ridiculously long fan letters uh, to Mary, who was still around at the time. She died in 83. Um, and, uh, fortunately, thanks to his, um, uh, poll with her that she actually wrote me a very short, you know, one page letter, but it's all handwritten on her stationery and I got an answer from her and not a whole lot of people can say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I reached out to a variety of different folks and. You know, you just go from there. I think, you know, so many people are just tickled to be able to find out that somebody's still carrying the torch. Well, and boy, have you. Um, And we can talk about, I want to really talk about uh, the fact, and we we talked about this a little last time, but probably I didn't do a good enough job. I don't think there has been a more popular entertainer in media, in, in at least this country, ever than Jack Benny. Now you can make the argument for Charlie Chaplin, I suppose, mm-hmm. but but Jack Benny, when radio was it, and I mean, you know, 
we talk about now cable TV and TV so popular. Yeah, it is, but it's so splintered. Yeah. And even when television was big, you know, the, the, the radio kind of dovetailed it at the beginning of, of television. And then were, then there were two mediums and most of the radio performers that were of, of any stature went to television. Uh, the radio was it. There was nothing else. Yes, you could go to the movies, but in your home every night, free entertainment radio was more pervasive than any other medium in my, in my opinion. And Jack was the king of the radio. He was the undisputed king of radio and not just for a year or two years. I mean, for 30 year you know for for a long time let's put it that way on uh, on on radio anyway for 20 25 years uh mm-hmm. you know i he, we it's really hard to i think for most people to understand just how big he was well you take a look at at some something like um seinfeld or or whatever and they went for what 7 years and stopped okay um, you take a look at so many of, of the um, uh, series, not something like The Tonight Show, because that's, that's you know, quite a legacy. But I don't know, you know, how long has The Simpsons been on? Um, you it's know, been maybe- on 20, 21, 25, maybe. I don't know. There, there was Gunsmoke. Uh, mm-hmm. There was the Bonanza, uh, Law and Order. Of course, that franchise went forever. Yeah. Uh, but but still, it, it it's just not yeah. as there. There's so much competition uh, mm-hmm. for those things. Mm-hmm. Well, and actually, just to to refine a little bit, that if you go back to the um, ratings, and you look at it. Um, yeah, there are certain years when Jack was number one, but then during the war years, a lot more people were listening to Bob Hope and Jack. Ab- Abbott and Costello were way up there for a while too. Yeah, um, they were. Uh, I think they were more in the movies because, of course, they saved Universal Studios. Um, but I don't know. I mean, they were certainly on radio. I can't remember where they were in the ratings. I'd have to go back and look it up. Um, or uh, Bergen and McCarthy were right. huge, you know, at one time. The Chase Sanborn Hour or whatever. It yeah, was. yeah, Chase and Sanborn, exactly. And, um, you know, but then you get uh, later into, you know, kind of the golden age of, of Jack. And, yeah, he's, he's definitely on top again. Um, so it isn't, it isn't that he was always number one across the board, you know, that there was give and take. And of course there's a, um, story about him moving to Lucky Strike because of, um, some, some issues the sponsor had, or at least one person at the sponsor with, with the ratings and making a nasty comment about that. But if, if you're interested in that story, I can tell you that. Oh, please. I'd love to hear that because Lucky (laughs) Strike is one of my favorite things about the Jack Benny show. So anything that got him there. Well, yeah, I, I, number one, I think is because many of the episodes that I really like, Lucky Strike was the sponsor and, um, Lucky Strike, you know, everybody knows about Jell-O. And uh, everybody knows about, you know, some of the other products. But, you know, Lucky Strike, like Jack, people don't remember. Lucky's and to a certain uh, other extent, Chesterfield's are two brands that were so dominant in that era that we don't hardly know about. I actually bought a pack of Lucky's before this interview. 
and, and I don't <laughs> smoke. I just to have them, and they're little cigarettes. They're not because they don't have a filter. And oh, I oh, God, where'd you find the unfiltered ones? My uh, goodness. Uh, well, that, those are the only ones available. Uh, oh, okay. And I just at the, the the local gas station convenience store. I said, give me a pack of wow. Luckies, you know. And <laughs> the the Luckies lo- taste better, well, cleaner, fresher, smoother. Well, in the uh, yeah, so fine, so so what is so fine, so firm, so fully packed, no, so round, so firm, yeah. so fully packed. And Lucky strike means fine tobacco. Well, that's what I was going to tell you is. The LSMFT, right now everybody's going, what are these two people talking about? The, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the Lucky Strike had a whole bunch of, of little things. One was Sold America, and they'd have a, a, yeah. a you know, like a, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, Sold America, and they were American-made cigarettes. And on the bottom um, of the pack to this day, Oh, the logo is so cool. It's just a, a circle with a black, it's a, it's a red circle with a black outline and it's Lucky Strike in you know, bold letters. And then on the bottom, to this day, it has LSMFT. And, you know, the, the guy That's would it. come in and LSMFT, LSMFT, Lucky, Lucky strike, strike means fine tobacco, you know. And <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so what's the story of how he went to Lucky Strike? Oh, it, I got it. it Again, side trip. I'm, you see, I'm mixing this up so that I don't bore you. I'm telling you a bunch of stories that I didn't tell you the first time. Um, I went to Cuba <laughs> a year ago last December, and I get off the plane, and I I go to the bag claim, and above the bag claim, there is this giant Lucky Strike ad. Oh, man. It's like, I come to Cuba, and Lucky Strike is like, completely pervasive down there that's that's apparently one of the places they're marketing it i mean they've got you know uh, patio umbrellas outside of cafes and ads all over the place so anyhow apparently luckies must must still sell well in cigar country i go figure but um yeah basically general foods um own jello and they had picked him up in 1934, and, you know, he had eh, all kinds of stories with varying levels of truth in them, um, you know, of, like, save the brand against Knox, blah, blah, blah. Um, but in 1942, um, they started rationing sugar. Oops. Yeah. Um, and you can even find there's there's at least one show where Don Wilson is um, – uh, saying, you know, and if your grocer doesn't have it, you know, wait until next week or, or something like that, you know, or ask your grocer about it um, because they were having such shortages and they couldn't keep it on the shelves. So they wanted to flip him over to something that wasn't rationed or rationed, as Don Wilson sa- says it. <coughs> Excuse me. You're smoking a Lucky uh, right now, aren't you? I know, I know. No, I'm smoking a Cuban cigar. Um, <laughs> but um, my humidor isn't that far away from that's me right now. very Jack Benny-like, too. So. Yeah, actually, it is. It's, well, that's part of the reason that I, I tried smoking cigars. It's like, all right, let's try this. Well, I found out that I liked it. I just try not to do it too often. Um, so anyhow, um, they put them on uh, Grape Nuts. Grape nuts and grape nuts flakes. Um, and then there were a whole bunch of jokes about moving over to, to a different sponsor. And they were he was there for a couple of years. And grape nuts is not rationed. Well, supposedly, Jack was on a train at one time. 
and there were some general foods guys on the train and somebody some executive from general foods supposedly went over to jack and said something that he had been falling down in the ratings um he's like you know you got you, you got to get better you got to watch that and jack is like screw you you know yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> so but uh, phil harris actually told me when they um when Jack had announced that they were moving to American Tobacco, who owned Lucky Strike at the time, um, and there was some discussion of them going over for you know, what most people seem to call Pall Mall, but you know, at the time they called it Pell Mall. Yeah. Uh, so, um, sorry, <laughs> just remembering some of the some of the ads. There's one show that is uh, done up like it's for Pell Mall and and whatnot. But anyhow, that aside. Um, so he comes to the cast and he says, uh, we're, we're going to American Tobacco. And Phil Harris's comment to me was, any show that was sponsored by a tobacco company was dying. And we all looked at him and said, what? We're not, <laughs> we're not that bad. And, uh, you know, but obviously Jack bucked the trend on that. Uh, Buck Bennied the trend, I guess. And, uh, you know, they did exceptionally well for, for Lucky Strike all the way through, what, 1959. Into the so, t- yeah, way into the TV era. Uh, yeah. I mean, Bogart even does part of a Lucky Strike ad during oh, yeah. during the uh, the skit he does and everything. Uh, uh, Abbott and Costello were sponsored by Camels. Right. And they had the famous C-A-M-E-L as camels the smoke that's first in the service and every week they would give out like a hundred thousand packs of cigarettes to a certain you know to the 101st airborne division or whatever they were supplying the servicemen with uh with packs which was a little odd because generally the servicemen got a multi-pack it would be a pack of cigarettes with like two or three of each different popular cigarette in it so, really? oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, huh. At any rate, um, well, that's a that's a great story. I did, I did not know that. And then again, we're going to get sidetracked here. It's not going to be as structured. And uh, Charlie Rose is the last uh, <laughs> the last one yeah. that we did. But uh, Jack, well, I take the blame as much as anybody because no. I'm taking I'm taking side trips. No, I'm thinking all, of stuff and it's making me think of all things. my fault. Uh, the um, <laughs> Listeners of the show are so used to me being the problem with the show. Um, <laughs> that's one of the hallmarks uh, of this show. Uh, the uh, story that Jack tells about getting out of a ticket uh, with his cigar, so to speak, uh, on, I believe it's the Tonight Show, I want to say. Uh, he tells the story of driving through a certain stretch of road that he had to drive through one of the canyons where you weren't allowed to smoke because of fear of starting a fire. And he had thrown his cigarette out of the car. I guess the wind had caught it or something. And a cop pulled him over and said, hey, I'm going to have to write you a ticket. And and his way of getting out of it was saying, officer, I did that by accident. No, no, I saw you throw it. And he said, don't you know who I am? That was a $5 cigar. Do you think I would ever throw a $5 cigar away? <laughs> the, the, because he was known as being so cheap. I mean, legendarily cheap. I mean, superhuman on steroids cheap. He got out of the ticket. 
Um, you know, good for you. It's not very often that that somebody tells me a Jack Benny story that doesn't ring a bell for me, and that that is a new one. Well, I believe so. that one's on YouTube. I would oh, I would bet okay. my last dollar that that one's on on YouTube. But uh, okay. yeah, that he did he did he does tell that story. I don't think it was Cabot. I think it was YouTube on uh-huh. uh, Carson. But um, uh, we were talking about the fact, and this this is something I learned while I was researching for this interview, was uh, that not his first radio appearance and not, you know, Ed Sullivan had had actually quite a hand in Jack getting his own show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because uh, Ed had a little, um, you know, show that was on, I think, every night in um, New York. Talk and, of the town, toast of the town, something like that? Yeah, you know, I should know that, and I don't off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up. Um, but it, it that that does, it feels right. Um, and so at the time, Jack was looking for a regular radio gig. He had left the... Um, uh, Earl Carroll's vanities because it went on the road and Mary was encouraging him to look at getting into radio. And so uh, Ed uh, gave him a spot on his program and he came out with some prepared remarks and uh, his uh, first words on on that uh, appearance were, you know, hello folks, this is Jack Benny talking. There will now be a slight pause while you say who cares. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, and, and, you know, he goes on, does, a, does the monologue thing and, um, yeah, the Canada dry, um, folks heard it and said, Hey, you know, you want a gig? Sure. Okay. And then in May of, uh, 32, he went on for Canada dry twice a week. So, well, and Ed Sullivan, a lot, a lot of people might not know this. I mean, they, I think everybody knows Ed Sullivan. He'll live forever just because of the Beatles and Elvis. But yeah. he was actually a columnist uh, for, for newspapers in New York City. Right. And uh, this was a day when, and I think, you know, old nostalgic movies and things like Mad Men might make people more aware of it than perhaps I even think. But sponsors ran the show, so to speak. I mean, the shows were named after the sponsors. And the, right. the sponsors were, were a much bigger part of a show now than than they are, uh, I mean, back then than they are today. Uh, they, you know, a sponsor would find something they wanted to put on the air, and that's the way it was done. It wasn't like today on television where a network gets a production company to develop a program that they're going to put on the air and then they go out and sell that program right uh mm-hmm. to advertisers is a much 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 different thing but uh mm-hmm. J- jack jack was very definitely uh you know just just as big as you could be in any medium i don't think there's been anybody bigger uh, let's talk about his persona and first of all the cheap thing uh, mm-hmm. as i understand it it it, it wasn't sort of ingrained in in his comedic persona Mm -hmm. they did a few things about it and they worked and then they left it out for a few weeks and said let's put some more in and it kind of grew over time correct 
yeah, and that's true for for most of the character traits of you know of the different personalities on the show. Jack Jack and cheapness go back to vaudeville. He first tried a cheap joke and it got a got a good laugh. It was um, if I'm remembering correctly that it was uh, oh I took my girl on a date and uh, I made her laugh so hard she almost dropped her tray. Um, you know, just indicating that, you know, he took her on a date to a cafeteria, you know, yeah. and it, so, um, <clears throat> you know, and uh, then, you know, when it, in the first um, uh, program on radio, you listen, he's he's doing jokes about George Olson, the, the orchestra leader, being cheap or, you know, driving an old car, and, and it's like, wow, okay, uh, you know, these are all qualities that were later assigned to Jack, and George Olson didn't last on the, the program too long anyway, but, um, yeah, that the, they then would assign the jokes to, to Jack's character, and you started having more people like Mary around to be able to uh, you know, make, make some kind of cutting remark uh, about his cheapness. And that just worked. And so it's like, hey, you go, you go with what makes people laugh. So Well, and, and he was, he owned being cheap. He owned cheapness, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it was, it was, you would compare somebody that was tight to Jack Benny or something that was inexpensive, a price that even Jack Benny would love. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. You know, he was so known for being just incredibly, incredibly cheap. And and uh, Carson, Johnny Carson said, and he was right, and this is just one of the attributes, that you couldn't steal jokes from Jack because he owned that. And I think all the great comedians, any really good comedian, even Andrew Dice Clay, his persona is so ingrained in your head Mm-hmm. That he can say, you know, uh, <laughs> yes, you know, what uh, that he'd say. <laughs> well, no, he has the thing he does about, you know, watching I Dream of Genie and how, you know, all on the show, it's always, Master, can I do this? Master, can I? No, Genie, no, no, bring her to me. And you start, <laughs> you start laughing, and he hasn't even said anything bad yet. I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, how, how despicable he, sexual he is and immediately you start laughing and uh, I'll just let you set up the the one of the more famous Jack Benny moments in all of radio comedy which is when he gets you know held up with a gun gun right in his face Mm -hmm. that he's he's walking back from Ronald Coleman's house next door to his (laughs) own house and and uh, yeah the the uh guy comes up and says you know hey buddy you got a match and and jack starts to give him one guy says this is a stick up now come on your money or your life and you just hear silence and the laughter starts and he says look bud i said your money or your life and jack says i'm thinking it over you know (laughs) and and even though you know it's like okay everybody just just got it even though it wasn't that, it wasn't even the biggest laugh on the show. It so perfectly encapsulated this character that they did it other times. They did it on television, whatnot. And it's kind of like, okay, if you're going to distill down the cheap aspect of Jack, 
<clears throat> to one line. That's the line. And uh, it just, you know, became legendary. If somebody was going to talk about Jack and try and encapsulate that, then, then that's the joke that they recall. Well, incidentally, I thought I was a fan of Jack Benny until I went to jackbenny.org, your wonderful webpage. <laughs> Thank and you. I saw where you guys and I thought, oh, God, yes. I thought, I, I, I thought either that or um, Drear Poussin, and let's not even explain explain Drear Poussin. Let's let them go there and and find that out. Uh, Was the longest laugh. Oh no. Your your club has gone to the trouble of categorizing the longest laughs on the Jack Benny show. There must be what, 30 or 40 of them in a list uh, that that tells the date, it tells the, the actual amount of seconds and there's asterisks that say the laugh was interrupted for two seconds by a, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty involved, uh, you know, but, uh, we don't have lives. We, yes. we need to get something to do. Oh, I think you have very rich lives. I mean, I, 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 uh, uh, and then the vanity of Jack, which I guess you could, you could, you know, one of the aspects of that, one of the bigger ones was he was always 39 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or he, Honestly, if you go back and you look at the shows in order, that you'll see him throwing out different ages. And then, then they got very regimented about he was 36, he was 37. Um, and then he said, you know, uh, when it was a thing about turning 40, he said, 39 is a funny number, 40 isn't. And, and said, no, they're just not going to have him turn 40. They, they reneged on that on a Shower of Stars episode in 1958. But... It wasn't brought up after that, and Jack became the perpetual 39-year-old, and I understand that uh, many uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people out in public have stolen the gag from him. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's it's one of the things about Jack that really has survived, you know, I mean, that, that people do sort of, you know, will we'll kind of bring up. I was lucky enough to work with uh, a guy early in my advertising career named Sam Denoff, who was uh, one of the writers and producers on the Dick Van Dyke show. And he had done many things before that. And he would have these long discussions with me. And it, it makes me kind of feel like, wow, wouldn't it have been great to be at the writer's table for the Jack Benny show? Oh, uh, yeah. Especially when Jack was going over the scripts. But he would have these discussions with me where he, he would get into this stuff like 17 chickens is funnier than 12 chickens. Yeah. And I would say, why? And he would just look at me and go, it just is. That's why. <laughs> and, oh. uh, you know, he's like, it's just a 12 is, you know, you buy eggs in a 12. It, that's just not funny. 17 chickens. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. He would also, if I would write something funny for an ad or something, he worked, uh, he was a consultant for an ad agency I worked at. And uh, he would look at it. And, and if, or if I had a joke, I was doing stand-up comedy at the time. He would, he would, you got anything new, kid? And I would run by a bit and he would, he would wait for me to get done with it. He would never laugh. He wouldn't even crack a smile. And he would go, okay, now tell me again. Mm-hmm. And I one day asked him, why do you make me do that? And he goes, well, because the first time I'm listening to see it's f- if it's funny. Mm-hmm. And the second time I'm listening to it to laugh at the joke. Uh, yeah. Because I've I've often heard it said that, and in fact I was I was at Al Gordon's funeral, and it, it was funny because you had people who Al Gordon was one of Jack's writers, 
And we had all gone to his son's house for a reception afterwards. <clears throat> so you had all these people who were in the industry, comedy writers, you know, producers, so forth. And then people who were not in the industry, which we'll call civilians. And you could immediately see who was who because somebody, fortunately, I fell in with the people that were in the industry. One of us would say something. And all the civilians would laugh, and all the people who were in the industry would just kind of nod and look at the floor. Um, and, you know, because it's like, okay, we know the business of comedy. We know, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, that's fun. Or they said if you tell a comedian a joke, the, the way that you know you got them is they'll point at you and say, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so well and then jack Jack also a woman considered himself somewhat of a womanizer somewhat of a a casanova uh that that again played into the vanity that you would laugh looking at this you know less than uh tyrone power looking guy that 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 had somewhat of an effeminate walk it was said from time Mm -hmm. to time and certainly a uh, not that inspiring of a physique. Uh, I, I saw something on one of the TV shows where there was a, a guy feeling his arms, a tailor or something, and said, "Are you still with Jello?" You know, because he was feeling his <laughs> bicep. And uh-huh. uh, but he thought he was the most dashing guy on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but unfortunately, is the the uh, the most dashing guy on earth was reeling in gals like Gladys Sabisco. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who uh, did everything from, uh, you know, um, waitress at a drive in to a lady plumber and whatnot. <laughs> a lady plumber. <laughs> well, I'm saying that because I, I think there's a gag about that, that uh, she was doing that during the. Um, uh, the war, you know, yeah, so yeah. women did that. Well, and then so. there's a great scene from the TV show where Marilyn Monroe is on the show and she, oh, yeah. she's like pretending like she's just, she can't trust herself around Jack. And <laughs> I knew you were going to go for that line. He, and he says, mm-hmm. I understand. You know, like, like, like he does not even mad at her, you know, he's yeah. like, uh, you but know, she's just like swooning in his arms. He, like, I can't trust myself. I just, I just, yeah, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) He's so, he's so over the top in love with himself. It's so great. Now that we talked before, and I guess we'll talk about it again, the format of the show, which I thought was just genius, whether they were trying for it or not. But I love, I especially love the episodes where, you know, and Don Wilson was so great at, at introducing Jack is getting ready for the show and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it's a rehearsal. You know, the, the show that they're broadcasting is about them rehearsing for the show. Mm-hmm. And so it's Jack telling people, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. And they'd end up doing whatever they wanted anyway. But it was kind of that show within a show. Right. Uh, and and uh, all of his stuff wasn't super rooted situation comedy it was sort of a a vignette of jack's life right and you know the 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 style of the show the format of the show changed over time that you know initially it was mostly music but in the late 30s you'll often have people coming in and just talking um you know and talking offhandedly almost like the show hasn't started um 
and then they'll go into a skit in the second half, you know, of, uh, parroting a movie or or whatever, and then um, you know, at some points they would do, like you said, the situation uh, comedy, where it's totally in Jack's house, or you know, in there's a four part series about Jack and the gang going to Yosemite. And um, you can find stuff like that even back into the early 30s. It just wasn't the normal normal format of the show. And, um, you know, I remember asking one of the writers at one time, was there some science to what, you know, whether you went with one format of the show or the other? And it's like, no, you know, whatever idea we had, if we wanted to parody something, then then we could do a skit, you know, murder murder at the Roma, uh, murder Romanoffs or whatever. Right. Um, and other times, uh, let's do some with the Beverly Hills Beavers. Okay, well, that's going to be set at Jack's house. So, you know. Well, uh, I, my one of my favorite, when he lost Ronald Coleman's Oscar, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that went on for for a few episodes, it and, did. and I absolutely I we talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Love the episodes with uh, Ronald and Benita Coleman in them. I just oh, yeah. I can't get enough of them because uh, for those of you who don't know, Ronald Coleman, an Academy Award winning actor, just about you know kind of. I don't want to say a Tom Hanks because he never played the everyman, but but a dramatic mm-hmm. actor. I mean, a yeah. guy that was just steeped in sort of you know you Very know, Shakespearean almost. Oh but. yeah, like a theater actor that just yeah. happened to be in movies. A serious actor, like a Sir Lawrence Olivier level. There you go, uh, guy. And and devastatingly handsome, Oh, God, just chiseled out of a piece of bronze, you know, just absolutely Mm -hmm. striking. And on the Jack Benny show, uh, you had some really wonderful insights about how he went on to that show and was just drop-dead funny, as was his wife, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because he didn't really do that thing that he did on a movie screen. And that's and that's just it. That if you're going into the comedy show and you're reading your lines as self-consciously funny, it's not funny because suddenly it's like you're you're verbally punching something. You know, that was no lady. That was my wife. What up, up? Yeah, yeah. And Jack had coached them and said, look. Read the lines absolutely straight. Read them as though it's you're saying the most normal thing in the world, and you know as as if it's not funny at all. And that is actually what makes it funny. Not not only the lines being read very straight, but also that you have this very sophisticated, wonderful, you know, uh, high English accent, um, you know, of in this era of sophistication between Ronald and Benita Coleman. And then you got Jack next door taking in laundry and parking cars on his yard, you know, (laughs) and just the juxtaposition of those two is, is incredibly funny in itself. So what were you, you, you had an observation about something that Benita Coleman had said that I thought was really funny. Oh Uh, yeah. That, uh, they're talking about Phil Harris's band and, and, uh, 
uh, Ronnie says, or no, Ronnie mentions Phil Harris's band, and she said, "Oh, please, Ronnie, not while I'm eating." Yeah, and <laughs> it's that's just... actually ends up being one of the longest laughs on the entire series. <laughs> so. I that those episodes. I mean, come on, it's like he lost the Oscar and he, and, and uh, you know, he's got all this subterfuge to pretend like he, he hadn't lost it. And mm-hmm. uh, how can he avoid the subject? Just, just absolute genius. Um, mm-hmm. I guess we can dive into the characters and you had just mentioned Phil Harris. And I was listening to one of the shows today. Um, and uh, uh, we mentioned last time, Phil has a big, I, I really loved the Phil Harris character because he's from Indiana where I'm from. And of course I met him mm-hmm. and he's uh, famous as Baloo the bear and in, in the jungle book. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, but when he would come into the show, it was just like uh, this uh, nitroglycerin, sort of speak, that was thrown yeah. in. A, hey, Jackson, how you doing? <laughs> Don't worry, folks. The show's going to get rolling now. You know, and, yeah, and, yeah. and mm-hmm. known as a heavy partier, as was his band. A lot of jokes about how the band was just would party all night, all the time, every night, and were, you know, sort of disreputable a little bit. And and Phil did that perfectly. Mm-hmm. With like a smile, unabashedly, big smile on his face. Oh yeah, and 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 you've met Phil Harris, so you know that he just has had this energy, this big energy to him, you know. And and so it's like talk about dream casting. I think even though his character was actually based on Bill Morrow, who was one of Jack's writers in the 30s, um, you know, who was uh, a hard-drinking, woman-chasing, you know, uh, kind of guy. Also pretty good-looking. But, um, you know, the, that Phil just had that... Well, let me take a second. Listen to sometime the first eh, couple of months of Phil on the show. He is not that. And he comes in, he's he's practically demure. You know, it's like, oh, you know, well, hmm, you know. And, and he really doesn't have a character at all. It changes on one episode where the skit is a minstrel show. And suddenly they he gets a chance to open up and, you know, be be a little more Southern and so forth. And, and they can, obviously, they've figured out, okay, that works for him. And they evolved the character from there. Um, but, you know, when I, I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing Phil in his home in Palm Desert that, appropriately enough, used to belong to Bill Morrow. So I like the, the, con- uh, the um, continuity with that. And he's, one of the things he said was that so many of the people on the show were just amplified versions of their themselves um that mary you know could be difficult at times dennis in his audition with jack that jack had gotten on the microphone said you know dennis and he just had reflexively turned around and said yes please and they <laughs> they liked it so much it's like oh let's have your character do that okay great you know yeah didn't even have the part yet um but that was probably part of the reason he got it and um you know phil said um oh i gotta tell you a story i didn't tell you this before um that phil said well you know if i drank as much as they made it out to sound like i drank i wouldn't be able to stand up 
Um, so <laughs> the story I didn't tell you before was that my mom and I had this long running joke that it's like, okay, if you ever interview Phil Harris and he offers you a drink, watch out. Okay. And so in the middle of the interview, he says, you want some iced tea? <laughs> <laughs> sure, Phil, I'd love some iced tea. And he puts this nice tall glass of iced tea in my hand, which was wonderful. But I'm I'm staring down into it, and I have my mom's voice in my head going, Phil, for you drink, watch out. <laughs> and I looked up at him and I said, there's no vodka in this, is there? <laughs> and, and he looks at me absolutely straight and says, no, you want some? <laughs> it's like, he, it was pretty clear that he could have given me some of it if I, I wanted it. I'm like, no, 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 that's okay. Thank you very I, much. I can just see him giving it, you drink it, it's nothing but alcohol. I thought this was iced tea. Yeah, Long Island. You yeah, know, exactly. he, that's good. That, that's, that's, that's a Phil funny. Harris line, you know. <laughs> and I was proud to have given you the story of of he and Bing. Oh yeah, uh, driving across the Scottish Moors, and it's very very late at night, and they see a distillery all lit up. They're still working. They're still cranking out the booze at this distillery in Scotland. And Bing tells him, "Well, Phil, they're still they're still making it faster than you can drink it." And he says to Bing. Yeah, but I'm keeping those bastards up nights, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, Phil Harris I just see that happening. Just too. absolutely uh, called me kid all the time. Well, kid, uh -huh. let me tell you, you know. Uh, and I used to love him on the. I, I liked him on the American Sportsman a lot. Yeah, a lot more mm -hmm. subdued show. But the thing I liked about the American Sportsman would always be guys would be out hunting, and it's like Kurt Gowdy would do the intro today we're gonna go skeet shooting with phil harris rosie greer and william f buckley you know it would never <laughs> it would never be like just you know ted williams and you know guys that you think would be out skeet shooting it would be uh -huh. you know this weird combination of people but um but the rest God, of dick cheney never showed <laughs> yeah really really uh who was Anyhow, it? i was watching a white house correspondence dinner just yesterday or something and i think it was norm norm mcdonald was he's like uh you know uh i'm so happy to be here i could shoot myself in the face and then he looks and then he looks down the ds and goes is he here okay <laughs> and uh is he laughing um but uh you had phil of course uh and we talked a lot about rochester and the fact that I mean, what a great, you know, sort of uh, just a foil for Jack, Jack's valet. But in the time, uh, as time went on, particularly on television, uh, but, but also through the radio show, you know, treated very much as an equal, which was, mm -hmm. was rather uncommon if you listen to something like, you know, Amos and Andy or, or something of the time. Uh, Amos and Andy's funny, though, because, you know, you have a whole community there where sure. it's like, you know, African-Americans could be doctors and lawyers and so forth. So, you know, even with the dialect that, that they had there, they they had some some uniqueness to that situation as well. But, you know, in the early days with Rochester's character, um they were they were still you know i can hear stuff from the late 30s that kind of makes me cringe it's like ooh, let's forget that i heard that yeah yeah uh, you know it's like oh knife fighting and shooting 
dice and the alleyways and drinking on Central Avenue and so forth. And and um, they they really cut that out during the war. And um, you know, as as you know, on JackBenny.org, I have a quote that Jack um, read at the end of a, a program. I think he did it twice, um, where he's talking about you know, equality and brotherhood and, and so forth. And it's like, you, you never heard, you know, that, that applied to Rochester's character. In fact, um, Rochester was treated so much as an equal Two two stories come into mind is that Jack was once asked, or they once contemplated, should he still be calling you boss? And he said, if he doesn't call me boss, we're going to lose every station in the South. Um, so, yes, he called him boss and, and this and that. But, you know, there were still there were, there were still some, you know, antebellum attitudes out there. And they had to be mindful of that. Um, the other story that comes to mind is that I found out. Um, that this actually happened, I always thought it happened in New York or somewhere in the South, and it actually happened right here in San Francisco, um, that Jack and the cast are going to uh, check in at the Fairmont Hotel, which is very, very nice. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, on top of Knob Hill and whatnot. And um, when Rochester goes to check in, they said, mm, Mr. Anderson, you know, you, you might be more comfortable down at the Mark Twain Hotel. Uh-oh. Yeah, which was, you know, catered to a black clientele. And Jack said, if Rochester doesn't stay here, none of us stay here. And they all left. Um, and I think they went across the street to Top of the Mark or something. Um, but, yeah, that that, you know, it was many times that... Um, people would want to treat Eddie Anderson, who was the actor who played Rochester, differently um, just because of his race and Jack would never hear of it. So Yeah, well, there were there were a lot of programs on the air at the time. Uh, you know, Duffy's Tavern, one of my favorite, favorite shows, mm-hmm. uh, had a, an African-American janitor on that show. And boy, they did not spare the horses on uh, on the wisecracks about about that on that program but it was a different mm-hmm. kind of show and it was in a bowery section of town in new york and it was it was that kind of people so i mean i guess it was it was reflective of of uh what they were supposed to be doing on that program but we talked mm-hmm. a lot about don wilson oh yeah and yeah. uh just the greatest announcer ever i mean mm-hmm. that guy could sell me a bag of dirt and I'd be glad. I'd be glad I, I bought mean, it. Me, Jello addict. When I was listening to the shows in order, well, you hear, like, you hear. Well, you can go ahead, but you hear him describe it, and you're like, I got to get some of that. Well, and and it's it, for me, it was absolutely subconscious because I was listening to the shows, writing my, you know, to write my book and catalog them and capture the data and so forth. And it's like, oh my god, it became a compulsion after about. Nineteen thirty-eight or so. I'd been hearing four years worth of uh, Jello ads, and yeah, suddenly it's like I've got to have it. So <laughs> anyhow, so uh, and and I've had any number of members tell me that they've had the same thing. That if they're listening to a concentration of shows, there's some kind of subliminal suggestion in there that it just it still gets people even today. Now, fortunately, I haven't taken up stri- uh, smoking Lucky Strikes. And actually, I have to ask you about that, that you said 
<laughs> that um, see here I'm talking about really coughing again. Um, that when you said that uh, Lucky Strike was one of your favorite things, and I was like, really? Because the difference, you know, Don would do the all the commercials for Jello, the middle commercial, but he'd also do the top and the bottom uh, commercials. Whereas with Lucky Strike, George uh, George Washington Hill, who was president of American Tobacco, loved that hard sell. You know, so you have Kenny Delmar and the auctioneers and, you know, whoever else was on, on the ad doing the ads from New York at the top and the bottom of the show. Um, and, yeah, members sometimes get into these terrors about, like, what's the worst Lucky Strike ad ever? You know, because they just beat you over the head with it. Now, the middle commercial, different thing. That's comedy. That's written by the writers. That's worked into the show. Um, so... You know that's that's why you got that that reaction. Well, that's the thing I liked about it was the the way they worked it into the show, and I think that's something we should mention too is that they would work the sponsor to ingrain it into the plot of the program, and many times, at least for uh, my recollection, Don was maniacal about insisting. You know, he would be talking to Don about something else, and uh, Don Wilson would be. In his answers, what are you doing this week, uh, Don? Uh, well, Jack, I thought I would uh, go to an auction, you know, and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then he would work in the hey, but I would have sold him here. He would get mm-hmm. it in any way he could, uh, and, and and like the uh, the sportsman. Uh, oh yeah, the sportsman quartet. The sportsman uh-huh. quartet would sing it in the show, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I or think, start a, a song really straight, and then suddenly the lyrics would change and be about lucky. Exactly, exactly. Or they would be talking about something else. Bogart worked it in uh, to mm-hmm. the detective sketch, the hardwell detective sketch on television. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I recall a famous, uh, they had a famous opera singer of the day. On. Dorothy Kirsten, and she starts singing the Lucky Strike jingle during yes. the middle of her operetta. Yep. That's right. <laughs> you know, so she's singing with the sportsman. I think. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it was that. That's that's why I liked it so much. It had nothing to do with the fact that it was a cigarette. And Lucky Strike just sounds like a you know I don't know. It's just it's got a, a an aura. I don't know. That's that's <laughs> that's had nothing to do with smoking cigarettes. Um, especially unfiltered ones. Um, I, I remember back as a child, they sold a lot of unfiltered cigarettes and uh, all the, everybody smoked when I was younger, you know, everybody smoked. And uh, I remember very clearly, especially middle-aged and older men would do the t- t- thing to get the little pieces of tobacco off the end of their tongue because there was no filter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked my grandfather why why he smoked one time. He goes, "Well, I don't do it to smoke. I do it so I can go." T- t- <laughs> he was he was a funny guy. But um, uh-huh. well, and actually, you know, part that's one of the reasons that Jack moved off of um, Lucky Strike or American Tobacco, decided to part company with him, is that. Um, and if this is too much into the the advertising no, history, no, then, no, no, you know, go ahead. Just, just say, you know, Laura, nobody cares. <laughs> no, no, no. I, the, um, nobody cares is the uh, T-shirt that we sell for the show. Oh, oh, It says okay. nobody cares in my logo. 
Oh, yeah. okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I'm kidding. It well, should be, though. <laughs> I was going to say, this is Tom Gully speaking. There will now be a pause while you say, who cares? Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyhow, that you'll hear on the radio that they start uh, advertising. They have these hitchhike car- uh, commercials at the end for Filter Tip Terryton. Or something about them you'll like. We God, we joke about that in, within the membership because the, I can't imagine what this looked like on the page. There's something about them you'll like. There's something about them you'll like. There's something about them you'll like. And they just keep repeating that over and over. It's like, you couldn't come up with anything better than that? Yeah. Dang. Um, so anyhow, um, <clears throat> then filters started improving and you had Marlboros that were, you know, you had the Marlboro man that came in and that was being very successful and Lucky was trying to compete and in the last year or so that they were sponsoring Jack on television, they start having these real manly man kind of advertisements and you have guys shooting guns and, you know, jumping out of airplanes or whatever Um and it's like, okay, you have Jack swishing out on stage. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't exactly go with that whole manly man kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, when when uh, you said you got the unfiltered cigarettes, and I said, oh, how'd you get those? Because in the oh, my writing partner would know this because he knows everything about the cigarette history and advertising, um, that they had a campaign called Lucky Strikes Again. And that was the introduction of their filtered version. But apparently, I guess, maybe it didn't work that well. No, so they these are, these are short. Forward. The pack is really kind of a little stout, short, you know. Uh, I remember... Cigarellos or something. Yeah, yeah. well, the, 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 really short. I mean, imagine if you cut the filter off a cigarette. That's how long they are. There and and, uh, and they... Uh, I remember Chesterfield's being advertised as the medicated cigarette. <laughs> Four out of five doctors smoke lucky. Yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> Actually, there is an ad like that. But anyhow, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see here. We've got. Uh, we've talked about. We talked about him a lot. And, and a and a guy who is so amazingly talented. I mean, just uh-huh. Dennis Day. I yeah, mean, uh-huh. uh, like I said, if if you just listen to him sing, you would think, oh my God, he's incredible. Mm-hmm. And then you find out he's got all these other gears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from from comedy and just being able to do his quote unquote standard character to just being an incredible mimic. My God, you hear him uh, imitate Ronald Coleman. And if you didn't know, if you were just hearing that recording, you know, without context. You might think it would was Ronald Coleman. In fact, they used that in a, a gag on the radio show at one time. And uh, yeah, he was he was just amazing. Um, you know, and like you said, he could sing everything from, you know, Irish. You know, an Irishman will steal your heart away, and Clancy lowered the boom, all the way to Pagliacci. You know, and sound really good doing all of it. So he was. He was just incredibly versatile, and I actually had the <clears throat> pleasure of being able to interview him very shortly after he got the uh, diagnosis of Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and he just wanted to talk, and it was, you know, one of the one of the best interviews I ever 
did because it has very little of me talking. I'll ask a question. He knows exactly the stories to tell and just transcribing it. You get one line from me and then like two solid pages from him that are just solid gold. And um, I remember him saying to me that he was so philosophical about his diagnosis um, that he said, you know, God never gives you more than more than you can handle. And it was just so inspirational to hear him still be so positive, um, even in the face of, you know, what was effectively a death sentence, you know, with ALS. Um, but yeah, he never lost his spirit. It was, it was really amazing. Yeah. He, he, one of my favorite parts of the show and he had that sort of, uh, Jim Neighbors, that Gomer Pyle quality. <laughs> of, you hear yeah. his regular character, and Mother wouldn't like that. And, you know, just this mm-hmm. timid sort of church mouse with this Yogi Berra kind of ability <laughs> to switch logic. Uh, and and just a wonderful character. And then when I... He, he just would break mm-hmm. into this voice. And you're like, is this coming out of the same guy? And, <laughs> and there were times on the show when you would realize, when they were doing a sketch... Eventually, you'd realize that's Dennis Day. Oh my God, mm-hmm. he's he's actually doing Ronald Coleman, and I, you're right, or Jerry uh, mm-hmm. uh, Colonna, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. or whoever it might be. Boy, could he he imitate people, which is which is like doubly amazing when you realize that one of the greatest voices ever in any medium, Mel mm-hmm. Blanc, was was a staple of the program as well. Oh yeah. God playing so many different characters. You know, he was originally just brought on to do animal noises of like Carmichael the polar bear, who was supposedly down in Jack's vault. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that uh, after a while of doing that, Mel comes to Jack and says, you know, Mr. Benny, I can talk too. And uh, giving him more, more talking roles, uh, whether it's Professor LeBlanc, you know, Jack's... Um, a violin teacher or a seaside routine that everybody else loves and I don't think is funny. <laughs> but that aside, um, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. And, um, you know, just just uh, the Maxwell car, for goodness sakes. You right. Know, the, story, the story goes, I really, <clears throat> I'm not totally sure if it's apocryphal or not, but that the Maxwell in the early days was was sound effects and that supposedly the sound effects didn't kick in i don't know if the mic was off or or if the sound man was you know distracted or what and so mel steps up to the mic and goes i can't do that too much i'm gonna start coughing again right and just sputtering and wheezing and so forth and and jack's cracking up and you know, it just, it worked. And so, you know, Mel continued to be the voice of the Maxwell. <laughs> as well as the announcer of the uh, train stops. Oh, yes. Uh, and the famous ending. And, and, you know, a lot of people will remember it from Bugs Bunny. Because they would do the akukamanga at the end. And Bugs did okay. that a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah, it became like a, a catchphrase there. In fact, uh, you know, Rancho Cucamonga um, has a big statue devoted to Jack. I was very lucky to meet, and she donated a lot of her papers and, and uh, artist sketches and so forth of the statue that's there because um, he kind of 
put them on the map, as it were. So, um, you know, here's here's something that um, maybe new information to you that um, I actually found this out at George Balzer's funeral because his son was eulogizing him. George Balzer was one of Jack's longtime writers, and that in his young days, George, as one of his odd jobs, used to <laughs> have to go out and put smudge pots under the uh, orange trees when sure. it was going to um, when it was going to freeze. freeze yeah. yeah, and uh, I, probably a lot of people don't know what a smudge pot is anymore. No, it just, they, they still actually use them in Florida and other places. They they oh. actually really really honestly do. Hey, you know, if a technology works, then go with it. Um, so he used to listen to the freeze reports, and there was this very monotone guy, I cannot remember his name, I'd have to look it up, um, who used to read off the the anticipated um, you know temperatures for the night and be like, Anaheim, 42... Cucamonga, you know, 38, whatever. And it was actually that memory that he was drawing on, on <clears throat> advising Mel on how to do the train announcer. Train leaving on track five for Anaheim, Azusa, and Cucamonga. Now I'm doing it the way they first did it. And it had no break between Cook and Amonga. Um, but then at some point, there was a pause and it kind of got a laugh. And so just over time, they just pulled that pause uh, up further and further apart until sometimes um, you'd hear kook and then you'd have the line of dialogue in there, or, you know, maybe two, and then you'd hear Amanga, and then that would get a huge laugh. So, you know, like so many things on the show, it just starts from, <clears throat> from a seed. Well, and also like so many things on this show, we're talking about it, you know, and yes, we are Jack Benny nerds. And of course you are the yeah. capo de tutti capo of Jack Benny nerds. <laughs> but, but these were things that were deeply seated in popular culture in, in America. I mean, every, you didn't have to explain what they were when you said them. Right. Uh, like yada, yada, yada and Seinfeld. I mean, you don't have to say, I, I heard that on Seinfeld. Uh, yeah. it's, it's just, it's, it's a given, uh, Mary Livingston, you know, I still think is one of the most enduring love stories of, you know, the history of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And of course, I guess, I don't, I don't know how many people know this story of, of after Jack passed, uh, somebody brought, was it a rose or a dozen it roses? Was, it was a rose and per day. Per day and apparently he had gone to the local florist and said, hey, when if anything happens to me and paid him, you know, a whole bunch of money. It's it. I want you to give my gal a rose every single day, which I thought, man, oh, man, is that class or is that class? Yeah, I actually interviewed that florist that um, Jack was in the shop. You know, getting getting a usual bouquet or okay, whatnot. Okay, now now I am starting to think maybe you do have a problem. Okay. <laughs> you, you you track down the florist? Well, because he's actually still the florist for the family. In fact, uh, Eddie Carroll, who was the voice of Jiminy Cricket after uh, Cliff Edwards, but he had a one-man show as Jack, and when he passed, the, the family came home from, from Eddie's passing, and there was this big... Um, 
arrangement on the the uh, front step that was from the same florist who, wow. who did the roses. But um, <clears throat> but yeah, you're right. I may have a problem. I mean, <laughs> I'm kidding. So um, anyhow, that that yeah, Jack was just at the door <clears throat> of the shop. This is how he remembered it, and he turned around and he said, uh, "Say if." If anything should ever happen to me, I want to be remembered to my doll because they uh-huh. called each other doll and doll face. And that's, you know, when he said, made the arrangement of saying, I want one red rose delivered to her every day. And so, you know, they start showing up Monday through Saturday, not Sunday, but um, with the roses. And then after a while, Mary you know t- stops and says hey you know who's who's sending the rose and that's when she found out that it's like that's that's jack um that oh, he wanted wow. to his doll so yeah. and he was wow that that just gives you chills now i have to imagine that you've spoken to joan benny oh heck yeah <laughs> oh, listen to you oh she was here five minutes ago why didn't you tell me i would have had her stay on you know well, yeah. actually, <clears throat> it's kind of funny because that's um, uh, Jack's and uh, Mary's daughter, adopted daughter. Uh, I'm sorry, I just took that for granted and ran with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, somebody had posted an article from a 1936 uh, radio guide uh, about um, the Benny's new baby. And um, so I had just taken the electronic version and sent it off to her, and she had never seen it before. It's like, oh, that's hard to believe, but okay, I guess you weren't reading when you were two and this came out. (laughs) Um, So that may have been a bit of an impediment. And um, that she really wanted an original copy of it and god bless the members we we have such a wonderful group of folks um jack benny fans are just some of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet and um that i threw it out on the facebook group that we have it's like okay who 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 wants to be santa for joan uh who could go find this and within like half an hour somebody's like oh here it is on ebay great thanks you know i couldn't <laughs> find it because um it was dated 1937 instead of 36, but um, yeah, we triangulated it, and I picked it up, and and uh, I just got an email from Joan. I don't know, you know, maybe about a week ago or so, saying, "Oh my God, this is great! I love it!" So, oh wow, that is that is spectacular. Well, um, we we talked about this, and I didn't answer my half of it uh, the last time we did this. I'll explain that at the end. I probably will explain it in the open of the show. Okay. Um, I'll have, I'll have, I have to be Don Wilson on this show. That's how cheap, that's how cheap I am. Okay. Um, but, to lose weight, so you can take that role. Right. Well, when, when do you think the show was in its absolute best iteration and had really hit its stride? What sort of four or five year period do you think was the, the ultimate for you? Well, it depends on, you know, what, what you want out of the show. Um, <clears throat> most people will tell you from about 1946 to 1950 is, is the golden age of Jack. That's, that's when the characters are fully formed and, and you get things like your money or your life and, and whatnot. And it's really, it's 
tuned so well um and there's there's just no slack in the editing it's just you know it, it just fires on all cylinders for me because i know that method so well and i can kind of anticipate what's coming i actually like the late 30s more because you can still hear people cracking up on the mic and you know doing doing a little bit of ad-libbing and they just sound like they're having so much fun and <clears throat> so i like those because it's a little more like taking the watch off and taking the back off of it so that you can see the inner workings of the show. Right. Um, you know, so like I said, it depends on what you're looking for from the show. The vast majority of people I'd say, you know, it's the late forties, but you know, for, for a number of us that are a little deeper into the research, a lot of people like the late thirties as well about the time of the Fred Allen feud. And so well, forth. the, the, I guess we can, we can pause and do Fred Allen next the, my favorite, I have to say, is sort of, uh, you know, I like kind of toward the end of the war, you know, 43 or 44, um, just because I, I kind of have a thing for all of the programs during the war. I like hearing the commercials about, ladies, save your beef fats. You'll get two <laughs> extra meat points, you know, and things. I, I like the, 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 you know, the, the sort of patriotic support of the war type stuff. Um, and, and, and the jokes about rationing and things like that. Um, also, and this is terrible of me because I have so many old time radio programs, um, like the, the episodes of, of the shadow I have with Orson Welles and, um, oh, greatest radio dramatic actress of all time, Agnes Moorhead. Oh yeah. When they were on mm -hmm. together, the sound isn't that good. They're kind of hard mm. to, they're kind of hard on the ear to listen to. Um, and, and it's a little bit that way with some of the early Jack Benny shows, although his show was oh, yeah. very well preserved as it went on, mm -hmm. nothing like Fibber McGee and Molly. I think that show from the second it started till it ended, the, the, uh, recordings of it are almost universally pristine because they kept them in a vault. The, the, yeah, they the, were archived. Yeah, the Johnson yeah. & Johnson people demanded a copy. Nobody else did that, or not many people did that. And that's why Duffy's Tavern, you've lost so many of them and, and, mm -hmm. and things of that nature. But um, Abbott and Costello, even, some of them aren't that great. Um, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them are, but, but not all of them. Um, so I like those, those years, probably 43 or 44, to about 48, I think, is mm -hmm. my favorite favorite uh portion of it but we should mention fred allen because uh not only does he not get enough credit and enough uh, oh, examination yeah. because of the fact that he bounced around from show to show you know mm -hmm. so much he didn't have one show that lasted you know forever at the same network or even at the same time or whatever uh, mm -hmm. Which is really sad because um, because he should and he took a lot of the same shtick with him wherever he went. But mm -hmm. that but feud... he was also very topical, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, I um, my, my ex mother in law um, who was from Brooklyn, she actually liked Fred Allen better than she liked Jack. And I think I think it's a matter that there's there's something about Fred's sensibilities. I've even heard people say. Johnny Carson is Jack Benny to David Letterman being Fred Allen. Um, and we could have a whole other conversation on that. But there was something that that I think Fred resonated 
maybe more in cities and so forth and just had the sensibility of that. Whereas Jack was pretty universal and he could play to the entire. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's maybe why Fred doesn't stand the test of time as well, because I think he was really a creature of his time. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, oh, yeah. And I would I, I say. A, uh, uh, just real quick. I was at a convention one time and they were going to do a recreation of, of a Fred Allen show. And Greg Oppenheimer, son of Jess, who who was affiliated with the I Love Lucy show and blah, 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 um, is is standing up before they do the recreation and say, and and basically giving cliff notes. And it's like, okay, you're standing in a room full of old radio fans. And if you still need to remind people about, you know, who Wendell Wilkie was or, you know, whatever <laughs> was going on in the news at that time, it's like, okay, if we need cliff notes, then this is going to be a total mystery to the vast majority of listeners out there. So Yeah, definitely. It's like if you have to explain the Lindbergh kidnapping, uh, you've got some yeah. problems. Uh, the uh, I would say uh, Jack Benny is to Johnny Carson as Ernie Kovacs is to David Letterman. Uh, and, and that's only because, uh, and I'm going to get crazy here because Letterman's my guy. Um, David yeah. Letterman shattered the conventions of television when he came on. And I think that, that people have forgotten that to some extent. Hum- uh, stupid human yeah. tricks and throwing the the pencil through the window and then he made the Velcro it suit. the Velcro suit, the being dipped in Alka-Seltzer, oh, um, God, I that. you know, stupid uh-huh. pet tricks, uh, the things he did with kids that you don't yeah. remember. Um, Monkey cam, the, drop, the Larry Bud Melman, dropping yeah. things off buildings, crushing things with a steamroller. Oh yeah. Uh, all, <laughs> if, if you really go back, well, he had a 360 cam. Chris, oh yeah. Chris mm-hmm. Elliott did the, the fugitive guy. He also oh, did yeah. the guy under the seats guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were so many things. I mean, here's a thing that you don't remember about Letterman on his morning show. Uh, Barb Sarlot was his announcer, a comedian. Right. That that anytime somebody you know uh, he'd have a guest on, and the guest would say he'd ask the guest, "So what are you doing uh, this uh, summer?" And the guest would say, "Well, I'm planning on spending a lot of times in the kids." And he'd say, "What do we have for him, Bob? A brand new car!" And it was just a <laughs> shtick. Another shtick he did on the morning show was this guy in like this cardigan sweater would come out bald with glasses. Uh, real, no, 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 no. Real wimpy guy, complete unknown. And he would come out and he would say, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us Donna summer. And, and this guy would walk out and sit down and he would ask him like two or three questions. And the guy would give like really bad answers. And he would go, wait a minute. You're not Donna summer at all. You're not Donna summer at all. Are you? And the guy would just run off the stage, really embarrassed (laughs) all of a sudden, just bolt (laughs) off the stage. And he would say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. In good faith. We booked this thinking he was Donna Summer. He told us and we took him at his word. And and he but David Letterman, like Ernie Kovacs, completely shattered the uh conventions of 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 television. But that was that's my actually next thing that we talked about last time is there is a definitive line at least inspiration or idolatry wise if you will. Mm-hmm. Jack Benny was worshiped by Johnny Carson who was worshiped by David Letterman. And, yeah. and those three guys each 30 years at, at you know, the height of, of what they did. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and even, and I'm telling you, I, I'm a YouTube freak. I will sit and watch every Don Rickles 
appearance on Letterman. And there's mm-hmm. two episodes where, where you know, how Rickles will turn to the band and say, he's an idiot from Indiana. He was milking a cow. What does he know? Or whatever. He's making mm-hmm. fun of Dave. Yeah. And he, he would say, Don, come here, Don, Don. And he tried to get his attention. And then he, and Letterman says, oh, Don, mm-hmm. in in perfect Jack Benny, Don, oh, Don. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Rickles does it back to him once. And, he's, and Letterman goes, who knows? But you and I and then Rickles actually says it was a show. It was big. You, never mind. And then they just move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a definitive. I, I love that sort of cohesiveness between that that unbroken line of mm-hmm. these these guys who all three of them I love. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of the 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 genius and the greatness of Jack Benny. That mm-hmm. the you know my momentum is still going and it's certainly still going in your club. And you were telling me something that really makes me happy, which is that younger people are still that, that when they they listen that you you did a little like a straw poll of how old everyone is on your Facebook page. Yeah, on the Facebook page. I, I can't take credit. It was actually one of the members that, that put it out there saying, you know, am I the only young person around here? And it was just, it was like fireworks going off. No, I'm so, you know, all these, I call them self-identified sub-39ers, um, <laughs> you know. And <clears throat> no, there are a lot of, I had a 10-year-old in, in uh, Australia. She's not, I'm sure she's not 10 anymore, but um maybe she's 39 by now, um, you know, who just hear the shows. And because, you know, like we were talking about Fred Allen, he's so, so topical. Um, and that makes him sometimes hard to, you know, really be able to latch onto and connect with the shows. Um, whereas Jack's characters are so timeless that there are still people who are cheap or you know a silly kid like Dennis Day a little bit naive or you know a brash you know hard drinking guy like Phil Harris and and these are characters that people they still understand and that you know I've I've uh, had a lot of people tell me that um they use the radio shows as bedtime stories for their kids and just, you know, in fact, um, <clears throat> I have, uh, apropos of nothing, I have deep ties with the, the San Francisco Symphony. And there were people there that actually had performed with Jack. And actually one of their new, fairly new, um, much younger members came up and said, hey, I was talking with Robin. He says you're into Jack Benny. I'm like, you know, I would not expect you to know who Jack Benny is. He says, I love Jack Benny. My parents used to play him all the time on car trips. And and it's just, it's wonderful. It's good, clean humor that you don't have to worry about it, you know, unless you're playing something from the 30s and maybe you have to explain a, you know, a, a remark about Rochester or something. But in general, there's nothing that you have to worry about with this and the people love it so much that they're able to introduce it to their kids and then one of those kids grows up and starts playing the viola and cuts with the san francisco symphony and then comes to me and tells me how much they love it and it's just it's it's lovely to see it passed down through the generations like that i know uh one of jack's granddaughters maria had said at late in life he really started wondering, as I guess so many people do, um, you know, am I going to be remembered? Have I just kind of wasted my life 
making people laugh and then it'll all be forgotten. Um, or as Fred Allen titled his book on his days in radio and, and uh, television, Treadmill to Oblivion. Um, and it's for Jack, it's very much not that, that he has created something. When I talk to people about Jack, um, they just, they, I say they go into their warm place, that it's like, oh, Jack Benny, and you just watch their energy change, and it's like they've just curled up by your fireplace in a nice cozy blanket with a cup of cocoa, and they're just so happy remembering, you know, all the good feelings that the shows gave them. And, you know, once in a while I get the question of, like, why do you keep the fan club going? And it's like, it's my way of making the world a better place. Because, you know, yeah. gosh, in, in, you know, the crazy times that we have, and no matter how the world changes, there's still going to be cheap people, and there's still going to be, you know, this and that. And that we need to be able to preserve and perpetuate <clears throat> and hand down these things that make us feel so good and you know hopefully that jack can keep people laughing for you know a very long time well you know uh you mentioned jack's psa for you know not promoting prejudice it, yeah. you know it's uh, gives strength to our enemies and you know uh, being good neighbors informs our children and makes it better you know that whole thing I've yeah. played that. Listeners of this show are no stranger to it. I played it right after the opening of the show. Most of the most of the shows. Sometimes, if it's appropriate, I play something else. But I, I love that, and I always always play that. Uh, the second thing is, I'm a podcast guy. But I'd be mm-hmm. the first person to say, if you like podcasts, you need to load some MP3s of Jack Benny in, or certainly, as you mentioned, if you're on a car trip or something, boy, oh boy, that's going to make your trip go a lot faster if you've got some Jack Benny. But we kind of skipped over the feud, and I oh, think yeah. the great Sorry. part, but the great part about the Fred Allen Jack Benny feud is that. It, you know, number one, it endured for so long, and it became one of those things that you can laugh at before you even hear the punchline. Mm-hmm. But also, is it was a fake feud. It was done mm-hmm. solely for the purpose, and you've never really seen. Uh, maybe you had a little bit of it, but it, it wasn't. Uh, you knew that Jay Leno and and Letterman had some <laughs> problems, but <laughs> but nobody ever overtly said anything until maybe the Conan thing. Letterman had a lot of fun with that, uh, mm-hmm. and Conan did as well. And Jimmy Kimmel very famously came on Leno's own show and said, <laughs> "Leno asking, what's the first prank you ever pulled?" <laughs> Kimmel said, mm-hmm. "Oh, you know, one time I told a guy I was giving him my show, and then a couple years." And then, like six months later, I took it back from him. Um, I mean, <laughs> he was evil. You can go on YouTube and see that Kimmel just nailed him every single question <laughs> with it. Uh, but it's but it was never overt, and it was never long running. Uh, you know, you've never had a dramatic series where they make fun of another show for what twenty five years or something. Uh, yeah. You know, uh-huh. uh, uh, talk about the, long, talk yeah. about the Fred Allen Jack Benny feud. Well. It actually predates the date that most people put on it, which is December 30th of 1936, when Stuart Kanan, who was uh, 10 years old at the time uh, and is is now a few years older than that and living in the San Francisco area and is still a wonderful human being. Um, I'm so privileged to know him. And um, You probably you know, know the thought- guy that sold him the violin, right? You've interviewed him. Uh, no, because he was already dead. Um, okay. All right. 
Anyhow, it, well, let's put it this way. <clears throat> when I first met Stuart, um, I was coming up in the elevator, and he was meeting me at the elevator. And he looked at me and said, you're not old enough to be the president of the Jack Benny fan uh-huh. club. Uh-huh. And I looked at him and I said, as far as I'm concerned, you're still 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that started a wonderful friendship. Um, but anyhow, Stuart, a uh, 10-year-old violinist who went on to be an incredible violinist for, for the rest of his life and still is, um, played a piece called The Bee, not The Flight of the Bumblebee, but The Bee on Fred Allen's program. And even though Jack and Fred had some seeds of, you know, making fun of each other and, and so forth and shows before that, that's that's the date that people kind of um, seize on because Fred said something um, and this was the time when they had to do the show twice, once for the East Coast and once for the West Coast, because they didn't, they had transcription, but it wasn't good enough for broadcast quality. And <clears throat> so he, on the East Coast, there's an actual recording of it. And, and after he plays the B, Fred Allen says something like, wow, a little boy only 10 years old can play the B. Jack Benny should be ashamed of himself or, you know, something um, derogatory. Something yeah. Well, then by the time they're going to do it for the West Coast and Jack is going to hear it, then he pumped it up to something else. If you hear Fred tell it and Jack tell it, they tell two different stories. But the way Stuart told it to me is that Fred said, um, only 10 years old and he can play like uh, play the violin so well and Jack Benny can't even play on the linoleum. <laughs> Um, you know, so something, <laughs> something was said, and then Jack answers it. It's like, you know, Mary, right at the end of the show, Mary, take a letter to Fred Allen, you know, and and says, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed of myself, and I was able to play the B when I was 10 years old. And they go back and forth, and, and even if you look at Fred Allen's actual script, that they've written the whole show, but Fred has to hear jack's program to be able to write something and so you know it'll just be scrawled benny bit uh at the top and and he'll have something that he wrote very quickly to be able to um include with the show in response to whatever jack had said um and then you know that that was supposed to have its denouement in about march of 1937 but it was such an enduring thing that they just you know, kept getting laughs, so they kept going with it. In 1940, they made a full-length movie called Love Thy Neighbor, um, all based on the the Benny Allen feud. And really, you know, I saw, I just happened to stumble onto Fred's first appearance on What's My Line, and he comes out, and immediately he's doing jokes about Jack. You know, so it really followed Fred all the way until his, you know, very unexpected and untimely passing um, in 1954. But, um, but yeah, they, they were, they were wonderful friends. They had tremendous respect for one another. In fact, there's an incredible recording of Jack, um, very, very shortly after Fred's death. And he, he, he almost can't speak. You, you almost can't recognize it as Jack cause he's just so overwrought with emotion that, at, at Fred's passing. So, you know, it's that's that's the only way that they were able to make it work was that they really had such a tremendous love for each other and and 
you know, you've, you put, uh, put an image out there that makes people laugh. So, yeah. And, uh, they, there were other feuds in radio, you know, the famous Charlie McCarthy and WC field, but I that, thought you were going for Winchell and uh, no, Ben or something. <laughs> no, uh, that that was just hatred. Um, yeah, that the, was uh, real. That yeah, and you know I could do, I, and I might one day do a show about Walter Winchell because there's another guy that's kind of faded away. But in his day, uh, Jack was the king of radio, but but Walter Winchell was wielded a lot of outside of radio power in the world yeah. and was just a kind of a mean spirited guy. But, um, the, uh, the thing about the, the McCarthy WC fields that, that, that all took place on the same show, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was rarely outside those confines. Uh, Costello didn't get along with a few people when they would come on the show, but, uh, and certainly mm-hmm. within a show, there would be people that didn't like each other, um, you know, on, Gildersleeve or or even on uh uh you know we talked about Phil Harris and uh one of my second favorite show is Phil Harris and Alice Faye show I mean it mm-hmm. it's a completely different kind of show than Jack Benny and much 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 more in the vein of a traditional sta- uh situation comedy right. uh but you know there's the character on there that it's her brother that's just, oh, Philip, must you be such a buffoon, you know, and just always <laughs> just taking shots at him. Uh, but but never spanning, sh- you know, two shows that that, that that was bigger than than just that individual program. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, now now you talked a little b- bit about the IJBFC, um, <laughs> the international. Union. Yeah, the inter- <laughs> local thirty nine. Uh, the International Jack Benny Fan Club um, at jackbenny.org. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit? You've said several times your members are wonderful, and you should definitely join the Facebook group. That's You guys, the things that you unearth and put up there on a daily basis are just incredible. And all you the- see why I don't post that much, you know, because it's like we, we have such a, a phenomenal group of researchers on there that they're turning up clippings from, you know, a 1934 variety and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, we've, um, well, like I said, you know, we've been going since I was 10 years old, so that's quite a long time. And um, we have uh, this fabulous Facebook group that... Um, you know, it has a lot of very, very knowledgeable people on it. So you can, uh, if you're of a mind to ask the most esoteric question about Jack, go for it. Somebody's somebody's going to know it, and and if nobody else chimes in, I will, um, or I'll go look it up. Or you know, once in a while, somebody will come to me with a question. It's like, whoa, okay, uh, let's let everybody else have fun with this. I don't know the answer, but let's let somebody else go find it. Um, or if you're even just getting getting into Jack, you know, it's we we love to bring people into the fold, um, you know. So you don't have to be asking about Jack selling amusement enterprises to CBS and and the uh, tax implications of that. Although I have been asked about that many times, um, surprisingly so. Yeah. And uh, we have a newsletter that comes out three times a year. We've got the web page. We've got lots of online resources for learning about Jack and his life and his work. We've got audio library, video library. We have monthly chats, um, which are always very fun. And, um, yeah, just just 
you know, having a good time and like like I said before, carrying the torch. You know, really, I will make the case for lazy people like myself uh, who just want to be s- sitting there being served a banquet, a constant banquet, because <laughs> one of the things I like the best, and then there's so many things I like about your, your uh, Facebook page, is that you will find Jack appearances on other shows. Like mm-hmm. he's on Bob Hope one week or he's on, you know, whatever show it might be. And that's wonderful, too, because if you're getting into Jack, Jack is going to suck you into old time radio. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to slowly sort of dabble around here and there. You're always going to come home. You're going to come home to Jack. But but to be able to hear the Bob Hope show, which was a great show in its own right. But hearing Jack on these other programs is is also just just awesome. Or it's seeing, an education. Yeah, seeing Jack on an appearance on Cavett or Merv Griffin or one of his own specials. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he did one special that Carson was on quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, did Carson host that and Jack came on it or something? I, I can't remember. Uh, but Car- Carson was on a number of the specials. That you're probably thinking of Carnival Nights. Where um... No, no, I'm not thinking of that one because okay. that's the one where Carson plays Jack's son, son. and does yeah. a damn good impression of, of Jack. You know, he, he really, really does. A lot of people say that Carson was always doing an impression of Jack. <laughs> if you watch his monologues. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, at any rate, well, um, I'll just, re- here's the big reveal. We already did, we did this for the the East Coast, uh, yes, but the copper wire uh, that we recorded it on we broke the transcription was, was, was yes, the, it was broken. Actually, what happened was I screwed up and accidentally deleted the file and Laura was kind enough to come on and do this again. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this one is better than the last one, only for the reason that my pride will not allow me to think anything differently. I um, totally agree with you. Yes. I was, your, your secret was safe with me. I wasn't no, going to tell anybody. I, re- I reveal everything. And as I said before, the listeners of the program are, you know, I, I often say, not very often on the show, but I often say um, people don't listen to this show to hear me. They listen to hear whoever I, you know, has been foolish Have enough on. to come onto the program. <laughs> uh, well, then we got nobody listening right now because I. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> you're 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 the rock star of the Jack Benny world, and I hopefully we've done these people justice, and uh, and uh, they've enjoyed what they've heard. Um, for a lot of people, I, I assume that they'll, they'll know most of what we're talking about, but maybe there's a tidbit here and there for even the most hardcore Jack Benny fan that they, they might say, Oh, I haven't heard that. Or, uh, maybe it's all just one stop shopping for them in one convenient, um, podcast. But, uh, uh thank you again for your time and oh, my pleasure. anytime you want to come back and, you know, talk about any old time radio thing that you want to talk about or even more Jack. I don't, I don't care. Um, please do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much. It's, it's been wonderful both times. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Tom Gully show. You'll find our snack bar chock full of good things to eat and drink. Tasty, tempting hot dogs, thirst quenching, soft drinks, Fresh, crunchy popcorn. You've plenty of time, so visit the snack bar now.
Just send an email to tom at thetomgullyshow.com. We'd like to thank Laura Leibowitz, president of the International Jack Benny Fan Club, or as I call it, the IJBFC, Local 39, for being with us tonight. Please visit jackbenny.org to learn more about the fan club, and you'll definitely want to join their Facebook page, too. Special thanks to Laura for the redo on the interview. And good luck to her on the mailbox reconstruction. It's a long story. Folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully Show. Not me, but the show on Facebook, too, if the mood strikes you. And, of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com. That's where you can find everything about the show. There's the Tom Gully Show store, which is currently down. Jack Benny himself would probably give me a good talking to for not making money on things with my logo on it. You know, like shower curtains and clocks and, of course, T-shirts and hats. And I think we also sold a uh, keychain. It's hard to remember now. Uh, and we also encourage you to subscribe on iTunes for free, because if it's free, it's for me. And of course, for Jack Benny, the free part should really appeal to any Jack Benny fans out there. Uh, follow us on Twitter at atomic Palooka too. So I can increase my clout and cred ratings, because if I get enough points, we're all going to go to the aces bonus points for anybody who knows what that means. Some of you have. Some of you have actually emailed in uh, to Tom at the Tom Gully Show and uh, referred to the movie that that's from. Um, this is a part of the show that actually gets more and more popular uh, every every episode. And that's the part where I sit here and ramble because I haven't written anything for this part. Um, I, I probably should disclose that I have uh, over 10,000 old-time radio programs on mp3 and that's not an exaggeration that's that's an actual number uh you know you can you can listen to most of what exists in the world of old-time radio if you go to archive.org they have an amazing collection there but i actually have them physically you know actually on disc uh you know i got them a couple years ago for my birthday i bought well not a couple years quite a few years ago actually now and uh, I've got, you know, Seal Test Variety Hour. I've got Lux Radio Theater. I've got Fibber McGee and Molly. Of course, Jack. I've got Dragnet. I've got The Great Gildersleeve. I've got The Shadow. I've got Abbott and Costello. I've got Craft Music Hall. <gasps> I've got Philo Vance. I've got, oh, Richard Diamond. Got a lot of Richard Diamond. I've got Danny Kay. I've got. You know, Chase and Sanborn hour. That's actually 
Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. A lot of the shows, you can refer to them either by the names of the performers or by their their actual names, which are many times named after the the sponsor. Like, for instance, Seal Test Variety Hour was the Dorothy L'Amour program. And uh, I think Bob Hope was host. uh, His sponsor was Pepsodent for quite a while. At any rate, uh, I I used to have parties where I would invite people over, turn down the lights, and I had these huge speakers, and we would listen to like two hours worth of old-time radio, and I should probably start doing that again. Um, If you ever go on a long car trip, man, load some in, you'll be very, 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 very happy that you did, and I will say it again, no medium has ever been as pervasive as radio. When radio was on, there was no television in the golden age of radio. And the movies you had to leave the house for. So it was the newspapers before that. And uh, the radio was it, man. I guess there was magazines also. But mostly uh, the radio was the the big thing during those days. There was no competition. There weren't any computers. There wasn't the internet. You know, you, it was read a book or listen to the radio. So uh, look into the old time radio. You really like it. And it's a lot different than you might think it is uh your your grandparents or your great-grandparents were much hipper than than you think and you will also realize very quickly that it really when television started television was the radio on tv and situation comedies situation comedies were around in the 30s and the 40s just as funny just as same situation-y as as they eventually became to be so were the dramas if you've never heard an episode of Gunsmoke with William Conrad as Matt Dillon, you have not lived. The Matt Dillon on TV was kind of a badass, but William Conrad as Matt Dillon would blow your head off. And he would tell you he was going to blow your head off before he actually blew your head off. I mean, it was a relatively violent program. The Whistler, I have all of The Whistler I mean, you really want to get warped sometime. Look into the the Whistler was kind of criminal minds before criminal minds, sort of. It was these weird tales, and a lot of them were kind of creepy on steroids. So there's there's always that. Anyway, that'll do it for tonight. I'm out of here. I've got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later. Each night, Jay Johnson, the late, great Jay Johnson, brings us in with the truth wagon. Go to jjohnsonmusic.com and take in everything that's there. And each night we take you out with Russell Alexander and the Hitman Blues Band. You can always go to hitmanbluesband.com. And then if you go to hitmanbluesband.net, you can sign up for their newsletter and you get like nine free blues songs. And then when you get the newsletter, which comes out, I don't know, maybe once every two months, maybe once every three months, uh, you might just get a link to some more free music. As a matter of fact, if you join the Hitman Blues Band Facebook page, every now and then, the lovely Joanne Alexander will do a live Facebook broadcast from somewhere they're playing. The other night she did that, and it it was awesome. My favorite blues band by about a million miles currently practicing in these United States and sometimes in England at the moment. Uh, not that they're in England at the moment. They're just my favorite practicing at the moment, but they are going to England real soon. Uh, anyway, so they'll play the catch 22 blues in just a matter of seconds now, because that's how we roll 
and we will see you next time. Well, the bug can't lift a twig for a dog that's nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat, a raccoon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you at night while you hold your baby tight, but he don't want you. You can see it in his eyes from the way he tells you lies, but he don't want you. He stays at work too long and you beg him to come home, but he don't want to. Girl, I'd be so good for you. Love me too.